Hey, I'm Alana Bonneman, naturopath and holistic nutritionist. This podcast is dedicated to reclaiming your health by harnessing yourself as your biggest asset. Get ready because this is where we stand up for your body's ability to heal, go against outdated norms and say yes to change. Creating true and lasting success all from the inside out. Thank you so much for being here. This is the Health After 30 podcast and let's get started. Hello friends and welcome to the Health After 30 podcast. Today I'm really excited to share an interview with Casey Edwards who's an international bestseller and has currently released two books called Raising Girls Who Like Themselves and Boys Who Like Themselves. And the reason I wanted to get Casey onto the podcast was because this topic of us liking ourselves is such a big one, especially when it comes to the health industry, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to raising children. And as she explains in the episode, when we teach our children how to like ourselves and setting ourselves up for success to feel good in our bodies, we as adults, we as parents also learn the same thing. Casey shares so many nuggets of wisdom in this episode, and this does not exclusively only apply to children or parents, but to all women and to all people. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. If you also enjoy today's episode, please leave a review or please leave a rating. This makes my podcast more discoverable. And honestly, I appreciate every single one of them. All right, let's tuck into today's episode. All right, Casey, thank you so much for coming on the Health After 30 podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Alana. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk with you because I follow the things that you do and that you talk about. And I feel like it has such a large impact, not only on children, but also how adults, women also see themselves. So do you just want to tell us a little bit about what you are doing? Yes, yeah, certainly. So a couple of years ago, so 2021, my husband, Dr. Christopher Scanlon, and I published a book, Raising Girls Who Like Themselves. And in that book, we actually started our research 10 years earlier when we became the parents of a girl. And I remember we brought this precious little bundle, Violet, home from hospital, and we had no idea what we were going to do with her. You know, like most parents, you feel totally Lost unprepared. Yeah. I was like, who, who's in charge here? Who let us do this? Take this precious thing home without <laughs> it's any, a rule book. Um, but we started to think about what sort of parents we wanted to be for Violet. And my deep motivation for writing a book called Raising Girls Who Like Themselves was I wanted my daughter to grow up liking herself more than I did when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So I had all the external measures of success. You know, I came from a loving family. I did well at school. I had friends. I, I should have liked myself, but I really grew up with this sense of inadequacy, like I was never good enough. And I carried that feeling into my adult life. And I didn't want that for my daughter, but I didn't know how to stop that because, you know, we parent how we were parented and all the women around me didn't seem to like themselves either. So that became Chris and my research project. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to work out how to do that for our own daughter. And then once we worked it out, we, um, we put it in a book and what we came up with was there's seven foundational pillars that every girl needs if she's going to grow up liking herself. 
And the thing about these pillars is they don't develop naturally. And very often in today's society, they actually, society chips away at these pillars. So in a way, we are actually training our girls not to like themselves. And so through our research, we thought about what we could do differently, really practical strategies because we're parents too, right? Mm. And, you know, the list of all the things you need to do to be a good parent is just impossible. Yeah, just keep Um, the kids alive. (laughs) But then you also need to make... (laughs) Exactly. But now you also need to make sure that they feel confident and comfortable as a human being growing up in this world. That's right. It's a very long list. So we wanted to make it proven and practical what was in the book. But what we found out, Alana, was once our book came out, it started to be read and um, absorbed and and the strategies applied by grown women. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that what we found in the book was what we put in there were the things that we didn't learn as adults. And the, and the reasons why we grew up feeling like we weren't enough. Mm-hmm. And so women were, were able to essentially reparent themselves yeah. through these strategies. And then after that, um, boy parents started saying, well, what about my boy? Please. He doesn't like yeah. himself either. So then this year we published um, Bringing Up Boys Who Like yeah. Themselves. And there are a lot of similarities, obviously, because we're talking about the human condition. But mm-hmm. there's also big differences because you know, whether we like it or not, from the moment boys and girls take their first breath, the world Mm. does treat them differently. They've got different challenges. And so therefore some of the strategies are different as well. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw your last post on boys as well. I've got two boys. So a lot of that really spoke to me how to make boys like themselves. But it sounds like your book's really teaching adults how to learn how to like themselves as well. Because often when we're teaching our kids, it's also what I've learned nutrition. And this is actually how I kind of came into this whole space through having to teach my kids how to have healthy habits for sustained health. I've had to relearn all of that myself, go through all the baggage that I've kind of learned from childhood, unhelpful, unnecessary baggage, which society or our family or whoever kind of piles onto us had to relearn it, unpeel all of that back and then move forward. So can you tell me a bit more about these seven pillars? Yes. So just before I get onto that, I just want to say you are absolutely right. And that (laughs) unintended consequence, a very welcome unintended consequence from researching raising girls who like themselves was I actually did start to like myself as well. And so because what you said, we have to, once you recognize the baggage that you're carrying, then you're able to work on dropping it, right? Yeah. But it's really hard to do that if you don't know that it's there. Yeah, it's all subconscious. It's yeah. all, you know, and because it's been there so long, you don't even know that it's existing. You don't even know that it's stopping you back from making change. Or more importantly, you don't know that it's stopping you. It's holding you back from having this intergenerational pass on to your kids. Absolutely. And not liking yourself is something that has been passed down from mm. mother to daughter to daughter to daughter to daughter, right? And so that's something that I said, and it's something that so many people who I've spoken to who have read our books have said, it stops with me. Yeah. And we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the pillars. Um, so the very first pillar is called a power perspective. And the idea of a power perspective is that it's about 
learning to think in a way that works for you rather than against you. So things happen to us in life. You know, we can't control a lot of the external things that happen to us, but we always have the power to control how we will respond to those mm-hmm. things. And so two kids can be faced with exactly the same situation. So let's take going off to school camp, for example. You know, they're going to exactly the same place and they're going to do exactly the same activities, right? Mm -hmm. And they can be very similar in their capabilities, but one kid can be charging onto the bus all excited and the other one can be having a panic attack and being worried for weeks. And the difference is their perspective. It's how they think about the experience and whether or not they believe that they're going to be able to cope with what's Mm -hmm. going to happen. And the good news about a perspective is it's just that and you can change it. Mm. And I'll just give you an example of a power perspective that we, because the thing about the power perspective is you learn it. Like you don't come out with a power perspective. Yeah, You learn your perspective as you grow up. Mm. And with intentional parenting, you can create a power perspective in your children. Mm. So for example, let's take Violet, our oldest daughter. So when she was... Oh, I'm trying to remember what age she was now, probably seven. Um, we had come home from her birthday party and we were unwrapping her presents and her little sister, Ivy, was helping unwrap the presents. <laughs> and what that meant was, uh, yeah, she broke one of the presents. And so there were tears and Violet was upset, of course. And as parents, our first reaction was to rush in and rescue, right? Because it hurts when you Mm. see that your children are hurting Mm. and we want to rescue them from that distress, but that would do nothing for her power perspective. Right. And also you're not always going to be around to rescue them. So they have to learn to Mm. deal with disappointment and uncomfortable feelings. Right. So we said to Violet, we can't fix that. The present is broken and that is really disappointing. And yep, it's reasonable to be upset. We can't control that it's broken, but what you can control is how you feel about that. Mm -hmm. So you can focus on that broken present and you can be miserable for the rest of the day and you can be angry and grumpy, or you can think about all the other things that happened today that were wonderful, your Mm -hmm. party, all the people who came and loved you or your other presents, and you can have a really good rest of the day. Like yeah. that's your choice. Yes. And so that's just one little example of where we started to teach Violet a power perspective. That's and also a very she's... practical tip that you can use in adulthood as well. It's just oh, that rework, sure. re- like re- this is the perspective shift, changing the narrative, right. changing the dialogue. And so now often, yeah. often we can't control the first thought that we have, but we can catch ourselves mm. and choose the second thought. And go, hang on a minute, I'm going to think about this differently. Yeah. And so because we we taught Violet with little everyday parenting moments, she now just has a power perspective. That's just how she sees the world. And the other day um, she came home from sport, um, school sport, and we said, oh, how was your day? And she went, oh, great, I scored two goals. And we said, oh, fantastic, what was the score? She was playing netball. And she said, oh, we lost four to 68. And but so that same situation could Four have to sixty-eight. In. Sorry, to 68. I played netball. Wow, sixty-eight goals is a very yeah. so. So you know, it was a total wipeout, right? Yeah. And another kid could have been really upset by that. Yeah, really angry, had a rotten day. Yeah. But 
she had learned to focus on what you have, yeah. not what you don't have. Yeah. So it's an overall and positive experience. That's right. You choose to think in a way that mm. makes life better for you. Mm. And just one other little tip that we teach kids, but you can also apply, I use it regularly for myself, is what we call the giraffe. <laughs> and it's the idea that you get to choose who you are and what you believe. And just because someone says something about you, it doesn't make it true. And so you can teach this to a two-year-old. So you say for a two-year-old says, Johnny thinks I'm a big baby because I took my doll to school or to, to kinder or childcare. And you say to your child, if Johnny said you were a giraffe, would that make you a giraffe? Mm. So any child from the age of two knows that they're not a giraffe, right? It doesn't yeah. matter who says they are. <laughs> And so then you say, you get to decide who you are. Just because someone says that, it doesn't make it true. That's your superpower and don't give it away to someone else. And I find that as an adult, when I get criticism, I go, hang on a minute. I'm not a giraffe. I get to decide if I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to decide if I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to decide how I feel about that. That's so empowering. And that's such a massive move to be able to make. But unlike in kids, when they say, you're a big baby, and you're like, no, I'm not my giraffe. What you said, you know, as criticism as an adult, sometimes it's not so clear to see that criticism. For example, you know, if you're looking through a magazine and, you know, growing up in the 90s, these tall, thin, heroin chic, you know, that's healthy. Everyone needs <laughs> to look like that. It's not that obvious. So it's yep. really, how, do you, how would you navigate that? Like, how would you then have that power position to say, well, I'm still who I am, even though it's perhaps a little bit ambiguous. Yeah. So when you're older, you can understand that what you say about yourself, your brain believes, right? You can explain that to an older child as well. So if that internal narrative, you make it true, even if you say it in a self-deprecating way. So when women are with their friends and they do the fat chat and you go, oh, you don't need to go on a diet. I need to go on a diet. I ate this on the weekend. We are actively making ourselves feel bad. Mm. And that is a choice that we can make. And we can choose not to talk like that. And we can choose to, well, for me, I choose not to look at women's magazines because mm. they don't make me feel good. And as an adult, you can actually filter those things out. And so the research shows that too, even as adults, when you know it's been Photoshopped and you know it's not real, it still affects you. Mm -hmm. So for me, I just choose to avoid those things that don't make me feel good. Yeah, actively participate or like not participating in something. That's right. So so we'll move on to um, the second pillar, which is um, body confidence. And this is a big issue for so many women, including myself. I grew up with a terrible body image and I've put so much work into not having a poor body image. And Mm. look, to be honest, I'm not there and I don't expect I will ever be there. Like it was so deep in my childhood and every experience that I had that my worth was defined by my beauty and my thinness and I was not it. And I would Mm. never be it, right? But what I can do now is I can catch myself with those thoughts. And every day I can say to myself, I will not hate my body today. Mm. I will not spend today thinking like that. And I think I will have to give myself that talk forever. Mm. But at least I know 
that I can and it will work. And I think with kids, we can get in early. So those seeds aren't buried so deeply. Just that you wrote an article called, what is it called? When your mother says she's fat. I've read this article. I was in tears. Like it is so heartfelt and so honest and so relatable. It's, it was just, I think everything that you mentioned then is kind of concluded in that perhaps dialogue that you heard growing up. I'll link it in the show notes as well so other people can read it. But just the fact that you're like, my mother is beautiful. Oh God, I get so emotional thinking about it. Like she's so beautiful. Like she's my mom. She doesn't need to be anything else. And then you hear her say these words, oh, you're so thin and young and I'm fat and horrible. And just, it shatters your perspective on what you think is beautiful when you hear the other dialogue that comes into that. Yeah, that's right. it was a really wonderful article. Thank you. That article's actually been shared over 10 million times. And so what, what I get from that is so many women grow up hating their bodies. And what a tragedy. You know, I think about my grandma who died at 87. She dieted every day of her life. Mm -hmm. She was hungry for 75 years and then she died. Like, what is the point of that? Like, it's an utter tragedy, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's not a way of life. Mm. And the thing is, and this was one of the points I wanted to make in that open letter that I wrote to my mom is that we aren't born hating our bodies. You look at children and they marvel at all the things their bodies can do. Mm. They love their bodies. Yeah, It's the world, it's us who teaches them to hate their bodies. So when I looked at my mom as a kid, you know, what I saw was beauty. I saw what I wanted to be when I grew up. And she was the one who said, no, I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm horrible. And I remember thinking, well, when I grow up, I'm going to look like you. So I'll be like that too. And then as you get older and you lose people that you love and you lose them too soon and you think, what would you give for, for more years in a body that was healthy? Like, it wouldn't matter that the fa- their thighs were big or yeah. the lines were on their face. It wouldn't matter because they'd be here. Yeah. And being here is enough. Being here makes the body perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it really hits a chord with me because that's everything that I also talk about. It's also not, yeah, not about how we look. It's about like having health and not having like having not just a long life as well, but having a health span, a long health span, making sure that life is healthy. And then we get told by all of the everything we're talking about, you know, all of these different angles of why we need to look a certain way and try to do things. I knew people when I was growing up who ate orange and cotton balls, like cotton wool to stay to stay thin, thinking that thin meant healthy. But it's just, oh, God. It's, it's really, it's really sad. It's a real sad tragedy and health needs to be at the forefront of this. Absolutely. It's no secret that your nutrition is a cornerstone to your health, but I believe having optimal nutrition goes beyond just what you eat. And rather it starts with understanding your body's needs and how to meet them nutritionally. But this means unlearning most things you've been taught your entire life about what it really means to eat well which is why I've created a new training 
which takes you through the first stages of how to get the most out of your nutrition without changing what you eat. I want to show you how to think, act and behave confident in your nutritional choices so you can step into the vision you have for your health and life. And the best thing about this is it's yours absolutely free. Head over to alanabonneman.com forward slash holistic dash hacks and you can get started right now. So Dr. Rick Korsman, who I've done a lot of work with over the years, interviewing for articles and, and research. He um, ran a weight management clinic for 30 years and he was on the board of the Butterfly Foundation. He says, we are focusing on the wrong W. Don't focus on weight, focus on wellness. And wellness is a process. And this stands for us. And it also goes for us as parents as well. Our job is to provide a uh, wide variety of yummy foods yeah. it's to provide opportunities for our kids and ourselves to move their bodies in fun ways and if we do that then that's our job done right mm. it's the process of living well yeah. and then the weight will fall where where it may you know it's about trusting your body to do what it needs to do once you give it the right process of living once yeah. you focus on wellness. Yeah, absolutely. And how your body performs is just the byproduct of living well. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And the thing about that is that if you focus on wellness, you can succeed every day. Yeah. Right? Because you focus on weight and you won't succeed. You know, the research, we've got 60 years of research to show that 95% of people don't lose weight long-term on diets and most of them regain it, right? Yeah. So you focus on diet, you focus on weight, mm. you set yourself up to fail day after day, year after year, and then you're my, my grandmother yeah. who dies hungry and feeling like she failed her whole life. Whereas if you focus on wellness, the mm. choices that you make day to day, you don't have to get them right all the time, but most of the time you focus on wellness and then you succeed every yeah. day. And that is what comes down to the pillar number one, the perspective shift, shift from That's that lack, right. shift from lack of I'm not enough. I, you know, I need to lose weight to I'm well. And That's yeah. right. And so the, one of the really important things we need to do with our girls to build body confidence, to save them from all this pain that our generation and the generations before us have suffered is to stop talking and stop valuing beauty. So because what happens is that we talk about beauty more than anything else we talk about when we talk to a girl. She'll get more compliments about how she looks than everything else combined, right? So she will naturally grow up believing that her beauty is the most important thing about her. Yeah. And then she'll grow up into a world where she will never be beautiful enough. Yeah. And that is a fact for every person. Every single woman is not beautiful enough in today's society. So we are setting her up to fail at the thing that we have told her defines her worth in the world. Mm. And the other thing about beauty is that it's an external measure. It's something that someone else bestows on you. They decide if you're beautiful and they also take it away, mm. right? So if you have defined your self-worth on being beautiful, by definition, you will be insecure. Yeah. Because you cannot control when you will be deemed beautiful and when you won't, right? Mm -hmm. So to be in, to be secure and to like yourself, you have to build your 
identity and your daughters on a firmer foundation than other people's judgments about how you look, right? You build it on the things that you can control. Things like your personality, your kindness, your creativity, your persistence, your empathy. Yeah. Those are the things that we can control and those are the things that actually lead you to having a good life rather than being totally insecure, trying to fulfill an impossible standard of beauty. Yeah, oh, you said that so nicely. You said that so eloquently. I think in short, it's really like beauty from the inside out, right? Like that is just being a good, genuine, kind person. And yeah, I think as a society, we need to change those shifts to what is beautiful. Was, yeah, uh, because people actually think, and parents have said this to me, that if I'm beautiful, like if I do lose those five kilos, or if I put my child on a diet, mm-hmm. if they look a certain way, then, then they'll like themselves. Yeah, But that is not true. No. I have interviewed in my career as a journalist, two supermodels, actual supermodels, right? And both of them had terrible body images, right? And I remember thinking, God, if you're not beautiful enough, what hope do the rest of us have, right? Yeah. And then I've also interviewed women who have good body images. Like they just just don't think about their beauty because they're too busy getting on with their life, right? And some of these women were classically beautiful, others weren't. But the thing that they all had in common was that they grew up in families who didn't care about beauty. It just wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. And so these women are unicorns, right? They're so (laughs) rare. But their families gave them a gift in seeing them for the people that they are rather than pretty little dolls that they're raising. Yeah, focusing on what they're good at, whatever it is that is unique to them, which makes them unique, beautiful little beings, whether it's girls or boys or, you know, adults, women and men, you know, it's, or, you know, as people, let's say, that's what's going to raise healthy, confident, happy people. Oh, yeah. It's really that's good right. that you're starting with kids with this because I feel like teaching the kids, you teach the adults, it's actually over generations, it will make a transformation. And I'm really happy to be sharing your message. Um, oh, thank well. you. I really appreciate you sharing it. Yeah. Um, but so I think the other thing is that one of the rules of being a woman is you have to help everyone first, right? So everyone, you, you do everyone else's work before you do your own. Mm. So by helping raise your children to like themselves, by default, you get to work on yourself too. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. But yeah, the positive positive byproduct of that yeah and so in the the seven so in the seven things that were also I mean all of this is kind of around here what would be the next stage and I'm guessing there's there's quite a lot in here so maybe also what are the what are the main um the main take-homes as well yeah okay all right oh yes (laughs) we've spent a bit of time on the first no it's it's so good and it's so important so absolutely I I, yeah I'm just interested (laughs) so the next one is um body ownership yeah and this one is really controversial. It turned out to be way more controversial than I expected. Chris and I ended up on the front page of the Daily Mail in the UK being called the kissing police. Oh. And in a way, it's quite disturbing, actually, that it is controversial because what it is, it's saying that a girl or a boy gets to decide what happens to their body. And an example of that is they get to decide whether or not they kiss a relative or anyone, right? 
they get to decide who they give affection to. Mm-hmm. Now, if your child wants to kiss grandma, that is beautiful and lovely and should be encouraged. Yeah. But for whatever reason, if they don't want to, then they need to be supported. Mm-hmm. And this is where there really is a gender difference. So very often, if a boy doesn't want to kiss grandma, he can go, nah, and yeah. run off and it will be funny, right? Yeah. A girl very rarely has that option. So what she is being taught in her home, in her safest space, is that other people's comfort and desires are more important than her own boundaries and how she feels about herself. And people get really upset when I say this, and they say that there is a big leap from telling a child you've got to kiss grandma to the issue of consent when they're older and that's where it starts that's where it starts in the home in the safe place exactly what you just said is if you're it's the same with eating actually if you're telling a kid they have a certain feeling they don't want to kiss grandma they don't want to eat certain food or whatever it is and you're saying no 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 you have to do that then they're going against their body's intuition they're going against their body's innate feeling of hold on I don't feel like that for whatever reason it is I can't believe that's actually a comfort. I guess I can imagine that it is a controversial thing, but I'm in complete agreement with that. Teach them to follow their boundaries, to follow their intuitive needs. Yeah, if you want your daughter to have the confidence to say no to unwanted sexual advances when she's a teenager in the heat of the moment, if you want her to be able to say no, Mm. then she needs to practice that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the research also shows about girls sending nudes. The vast majority of them, over 90% of them, those girls don't want to send a nude photo. And when you ask them why they did it, they will say they didn't think they had a choice yeah. because they, they didn't they want to, to upset the other person. And of course, they think like that because they have been taught their whole lives that they have to do things with their body that they don't want to do to make another person feel okay. Mm. And so that's part of body ownership. Another part is um, hair, clothes, makeup. So we have a rule that if it's not permanent or it's not harmful, she gets to decide, Mm. right? Even if you don't agree, in fact, especially if you don't agree. And there are plenty of examples where our girls have done things to their appearance that we would probably prefer they didn't. But the thing is, we say to them, it is your body, so you get to decide what happens to it. Mm. And people will say, oh, no, no, but not under my roof and she needs to learn and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, our voice will be replaced by other voices in years to come. It's Mm. going to be replaced by friends, frenemies, boyfriends, the advertising industry. You want your daughter to be able to decide for herself what she's going to do with her body, right? And the only way she's going to learn that is if she learns it in your home. And every time we say to a girl, you can't wear that, you can't do that with your hair, you can't put that makeup on your face or whatever, we are saying to her, our opinion about how you look is more important than your own. Yeah. We should be teaching our girls the opposite to that, that they get to decide who they are and what they do with their body and whether or not that's okay. Yeah. And that gives them the confidence for later in life. I also like how you said, as long as it's not permanent, you know, as long maybe until they're 18 years old, as long as it's not permanent, you're not tattooing yourself somewhere or getting piercings in weird places, fly your flag and let let your self-expression and creativity do that. 
For sure, because also women can grow up believing that if they don't do what other people want them to do with their bodies, they will not be loved. Like that is a message that's so deep within our culture. So we need our girls to experience in our own home that you can make an unpopular choice about your body. Yep, you can wear that hideous dress to grandma's house and that's fine. I'm still going to love you. Yeah. My daughter the other day wanted to cut her hair and she said in a certain way and she said, do you like it? And I said, no, I don't. But that's not, it's not but, my hair. Okay. Yeah. It's your choice. And I fully support your yeah. choice. Yeah. And so then hopefully later when she's having to make more difficult choices, when the stakes are much higher. When it's not just the hair. Mm. That's right. She will be able to remember that, yeah, I can I can say no. I can yeah. do what I want and I'm yeah. still going to be loved. And I'm going to be okay. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I just had to laugh really hard because my son was also like, mom, I want my hair really short at the front and then long at the back so I can put it in my mouth. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, okay. Yeah. The other thing about the rule, if it's not permanent and not harmful, they get to decide, is it makes your life so much easier. Like there are so many fights we hear about, you know, and whether or not you can wear your dress up costume to childcare. Well, it's not permanent. It's not harmful. So just let them. Do it. Yes. Right. Choose your battles. Doesn't need to be you one. Don't have let to it. worry about those things. Yeah. If your daughter wants to smear lipstick on her eyelids, then just let her, you know, <laughs> yeah. makeup. It's just face paint to kids. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also just, I love that. I, I love everything. It's like starting small. So when they're older, it's going to be easier. That's right. Yeah. You yeah. bank it now. So yeah. they're going to have the right foundation for when it really matters. Yeah. And then let's just say what happens if you are an adult and you have all this baggage, how do you start to unlearn all of this? So the first thing is to be aware of what, of the misconceptions of the rules that you learned that were wrong. You know, so on that um, the pillar of um, body ownership, so what happened to me some time ago, it was actually during COVID. I was walking down the street. I saw someone I knew and he put his arms out to give me a hug. Now, I wouldn't have wanted to hug him even before COVID, certainly didn't want to hug him in COVID, but I just stood there and went with the hug. Mm. And I thought about that later. Why did I allow that to happen? Well, because my whole life I was taught that you, I do un uncomfortable things so I don't upset someone else, right? Mm. Mm. And women sit in a hairdresser or they'll go and have a massage and they'll let someone do something to their body that they don't like, whether it's uncomfortable or they don't like the way the hair's being cut and they won't say anything. Yeah. They don't want to upset the other person. Yeah, you don't want to be, um, yeah, you don't want to be uncomfortable. You exactly. don't want to uh, confront, yeah, no, no confrontation. We learnt that. We learnt that rule. And then once you know that you learnt it and you can see all those occasions as a kid where it was reinforced, you can go, hang on a minute, I don't want to live like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get it right all the time because there's a lot of years of conditioning to undo. <laughs> but you can start and you can start making decisions that feel better for you. Yeah, yeah. I guess that comes down to everything, like the awareness even knowing that this is a thing and having the awareness 
And then where does it pop up in your day to day? Where do you start seeing this every single time? Yeah, because it's everywhere. You're right. The hairdressers, among friends, feeling obliged to do things, even though you don't want to, but it's socially accepted to do things. And you can change things. So years ago, when I wrote that letter to my mum, I spoke to all my friends about how I don't want to have fat chat anymore. Mm. I don't want you to compliment me for losing weight. Yeah. I don't want to talk about how many points was in the biscuit that you ate, yeah. that you ate. And I talked about it in context to our children saying, our kids are listening to this, right? And it's been years now. And in my friendship group, none of us do that anymore. Mm. None of us fat chat anymore. Do you also and- pick people up when they do it? Or do you are you like, hey, like that's fat chat. I never heard of fat chat. I like that, like this terminology. All right. But do you? Yeah. I'm very gentle about it because as women, we have been taught that that's how you bond, right? Mm. That was the script we learned. So I will say things like, I don't like to focus on how my body looks or we only care about what bodies do in our family. Yeah. So I'll just do it gently like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then it's amazing because the research on brain plasticity is amazing you really can rewire your brain right and so if you start having different inputs into your brain different conversations around you you will start thinking different thoughts yeah yes oh and that's what yeah that's where it starts I also love that it's just the dialogue that you have what are you saying what's the narrative how are you saying things and how is that changing the perspective it also it's quite holistic actually when you think about it, all of this kind of comes together with, yeah, first realizing it, talking about it and letting that become normal until it makes this massive perspective shift as well, until it becomes the normal thing. And I'm just also thinking, you know, in the, in the next generation, when we are raising children to be confident in who they are and how they are, how in whole industries, beauty industries, you know, just will shatter what will be the oh. ideal of beauty in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Like imagine, imagine what would happen to the economy if women woke up tomorrow and liked themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's actually, it's a political act to yeah. like yourself. It's yes. the ultimate rebellion. Yes. I, it's also actually why I actively go gray. I mean, I don't, I'm going gray, but I actively show going gray. And when I see other women, like I started going gray at 25 and no one else is really going gray. And I look at around at the world and I'm thinking, is everyone else dyeing their hair? Or am I just a really young like person that's going gray, you know? And now I just let it go. And when I see other women like with gray hairs, like naturally going gray, I'm just thinking, I, like, I mentally high five them as I walk past them. I'm like, yes, like you are becoming, you are demonstrating. You're just passively or, you know, quietly demonstrating that this is what you stand for. And so, I feel yeah. like that too. Sometimes I think I'm just so sick of being told that my body's unacceptable. Mm. Like the list of things that are unacceptable on a natural female body is so long. It's obscene. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just sick of it. Yeah. It's time to say, it's time to say no. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. It's time to say this stops with me. Like this yeah. doesn't, this doesn't need to be passed on. And But I think the other part of that is that we need solidarity for other women in that we don't criticise people who do dye their hair or do mm-hmm. have cosmetic surgery because that also fits into it's their body so they get to decide, right? Yeah. Now, I personally find it very sad 
when I see people have surgery, have a procedure that is actually life-threatening, right? Mm-hmm. Or they spend the equivalent of, you know, a house deposit in 10 years on, on beauty. Like I feel mm. sad that we have been taught that our bodies are so unacceptable that we need to go to, to those that. lengths to fix mm. them. But we should not be judging those women for doing that because they are products of the world that we are all part of. Yeah. And so part of this is to support all women in the yeah. decisions because we're all just trying to get through this as best we can. Absolutely. And if that's their choice to make, whether it's been influenced or not by society or whoever, it's still their choice in the end. And ultimately, I think we do things in our best interest to be happy. And for someone, we don't know their story. And if they want to do those procedures, then exactly. We also need to not judge them the same yeah. way that we don't need to be judged for how we look or feel. You're right. It's a two-way street because sometimes I feel like naturalists will often say well that's fake you know how you've what you've done or cutting your face or whatever that's fake but they also everyone needs to be able to do what they want and be loved for who they are and the choices that they make and the other thing from a purely selfish point of view is if you stop judging other people how they look you will stop judging yourself yeah right because when you judge other people that's the 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 narrative in your own head right yeah And so just cut out all the judgments and you win too. Yes. Oh, I love this. Casey, I think um, I love love everything that you're about. And I now really want to just encourage people to read your book. There's, you know, there's seven, this, like what we've talked about, these first three pillars, they're absolutely golden. This this type of stuff changes the way that people feel and act and live. So yeah, I think for the next four pillars, they're going to have to... (laughs) read your book to see what's in there but yeah thank you so much for sharing this message thank you for all the work that you do and that you're making this presence through your writing as well like I love that you're an author and this is your art and this is how you are changing the world I tip my hat to that absolutely thank you and can I just say that this stuff works like Chris and I didn't make it up, right? This is, isn't what we reckon. We're researchers. And so we actually found evidence-based strategies that can work. And we've heard stories from parents who's it's changed their children's lives. Kids who went from talking about not wanting to live anymore, not wanting to go to school, struggling. They've actually re-engaged with life. Like you can actually change your child's life and your own life by strengthening your seven pillars yeah yes and by starting with the family you that's like starting with the nucleus which you can have an influence on this is also how you make a bigger change as well that's right because we can't control the world outside but we can make our homes a safe haven so when our kids walk through that door they're going to be loved for who they are they're not going to be judged for how they look They're not going to be told to, you know, go on a diet or look a certain way. It's their safe place where they can bloom in their own way and in their own time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Casey. If people want to find out more about you, where can they, where can they look for you? Where can they find you? So raisinggirlswholikethemselves.com is our website for girls. Um, We've also got um, boysholikethemselves.com as well for our boys. Raising boys who like themselves. 
Um, so the website is just boys who like themselves. Okay. And then yeah. the website for the girls is raising girls, girls who like, like themselves. Yeah, good. I mean, in any case, I'll put them all um, into the show notes. You're on Instagram and you've got a website. So I'll also put all of that in there as well. Great. Um, if there's one thing, one thing that you can impart on our dear listeners, what would that be? I think it is, and this can be harder than it sounds, love the child that you have rather than the one that you thought you were going to get. And that also applies to yourself, the person that you are, rather than the person that your parents wanted you to be or the teacher at school wanted you to be. And so part of that process is grief. It is grieving to come to terms with the reality, but do the work to get there because the greatest gift you can give to your child and to yourself is to accept and love who you are or who they are in this moment. Nobody wants to have to lose five kilos, pass a test, jump a a hurdle to be loved. We all want to be loved and accepted right now as we are in this moment. Thank you so much, Casey. It was wonderful having you on the podcast. I hope to have you on again another time. I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Alana. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for being here. You could have been listening to anything, but you're here interested in reclaiming your health. I hope you found the episode useful and constructive. If you enjoyed it and would like to show support for the show, please leave a review as this makes my content more discoverable for other people to enjoy and learn from. Please also consider subscribing to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Finally, the best way to show support for the show is by sharing it with someone who you think might benefit from it. Thanks for listening. Be well, and I'll catch you next time.